Jesus Christ is the Lord over the universe. And it says here that he made four things, the heavens and the earth. You say, that's only two. I'm not through. Visible and invisible. So whatever it is, he made it. He made all things. And you'll notice also there's four other things that the Bible talks about so that if you think he's lacking in anything and he doesn't know everything about everything, it says also in the last part of verse 16, whether there be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers, the things that you can't see, the different so-called levels of intelligence that might be out there because of the people that were teaching things, like, um, you know, there's a mysterious knowledge out there, and you've got to have these angels reveal things to you. And Jesus doesn't know it all, and so he is just one of the mighty angels, and there's so much more knowledge to get you away from Christ, to get you away from the Bible, as though there's somebody's going to come along with this extra knowledge, extra wisdom to make you wiser than what the Bible can do. There's nothing that can compare to this book. Nothing compares to Jesus Christ. There is no other God. He is God. He created the heavens and the earth, and there's nothing we need to worry about. If the one that can create the heavens and the earth can do all of these things, what are we worried about? Can God provide us with a hamburger from day to day? I think so. So you notice that in these verses, many believe that this could have been a song and whether or not Paul was writing to them a, a song. You see, when they studied the Old Testament, they didn't have uh, songs in our hymnals like we did. Paul could not say, let's take and stand up and sing page uh, 198. They didn't have a hymnal like this. They sung hymns out of the Old Testament. But whether or not some of these could have been used as a song, because when I've looked at verse 15 up there to verse 19, I think, you know, this would make a good song. The way it's laid out, the way it's worded, somebody ought to be able to write a beautiful song out of these verses alone. So maybe somebody, maybe I'll do it. Somebody ought to write a song because it's, it's, it's beautiful. And talks about the power of God, who he is and what he's done. Oh, I'd make a great one. But what I want you to see, in verse 18 down to verse 20, it also talks about how he is the Lord over the church. See, if he's over the universe, he created all things, and all things were created by him. And when you read the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He came into the world. He made the world came into the world, and the world received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. And the Word, the Word, God, Word, was made flesh. It means he took upon a body. Who? God. Took upon a body. And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to see this verse. Look there with me in the book of Hebrews in chapter 1. The book of Hebrews and chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1 kind of gives you a, a wonderful little history, really. He says, how that in time past, he spake in time past unto our fathers by the prophets. Look at in verse 1. God who at sundry times 
and in divers' manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And now look, hath in these last days given the final word unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He made the worlds. Jesus Christ did all of that. And then look what the Bible tells us in verse 3. Who, being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, means nothing left out. A perfect impression, a perfect image of God himself. You want to know the true and living God? Know more about Jesus Christ. He is the express image. And get this. And he says, upholding all things by the word of his power. That's the same as we read over there in the Colossians where he says, and all things by him are consist or held together. He is the one that holds everything together. You realize if he would just let his hands go, everything would fly off into space. Everything would blow up. It's going to one of these days. But he says here in the last part of verse 3, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, came into the world and by himself paid for our sins, came back from the dead, and is seated next to the majesty on high. This is the one that we read about and study about. He is the Lord. Go back now to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. Now, when you talk about how he made everything, and he has all power, and the Bible talks about so that he has the preeminence. See the last word there in verse 18? The preeminence means there's nothing over him. There's nothing better than him. He is what we need to know and what we need to understand. But I want you to see there in verse 18 because he is also the Lord over the church. If he is creator of heaven and earth and has all this power, can't God do anything he wants to do? He ought to be able to do whatever he wants. He's God. So God in his sovereignty has chosen to give man a free will. And he did this by making a payment for the sins of the whole world so that anybody, whosoever, would voluntarily choose to trust him would have everlasting life. And there's those that will not trust Him, will not believe it, will not accept it. But God has it on a level that anybody can have it, even a little child can understand because it's free, it's a gift. But before we get there, understand this. These verses are going to talk about the word reconciliation. But you see, to be reconciled, there has to be a problem. I mean, usually a man and wife doesn't, you know, reconcile until they have a problem. You've got to have a fight. You know, knock down, drag out. And then, making peace. It can be a lot of fun. But there has to be somebody who takes the initiative to heal the wound. So, as you read these scriptures, you'll find that the Bible talks about what Christ has done for us. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. Well, this is something new, something different. But it's dealing with the subject that God taken believing Jews and believing Gentiles, and bringing them together. Naturally speaking, the Jews hated Gentiles, Gentiles hate Jews. So what God did is He broke down this middle wall of partition, and He has brought them together in Christ. So that we're not talking about the nation of Israel, 
We're not talking about the Gentile nations. We're talking about individuals that believe that Christ died and paid for their sins. And God takes them and puts them together into something brand new. It wasn't talked about in the Old Testament. This is called a mystery. And a mystery in dispensational teaching simply means that it is a truth that is now revealed for the first time. Unknown in ages past, but now revealed. You can understand a little bit more about that in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3. But here's talking about a dispensation where it is a, a period of time in which God deals with us concerning a certain responsibility and consequences to our decisions. And so there's different periods of time as in the process of time. So you and I have been blessed by God to live in a period of time where God is doing something totally new and different than what was ever done in the Old Testament. Is God formed the church. And the church is His body. He is the head. And you study about the head in the book of Colossians. You study about the body in the book of Ephesians. So if you want to understand the church, you have to understand the book of Ephesians and the book of Colossians. And these books were probably written at the same time by the Apostle Paul and sent along with the book of Philemon so that there's things that God wants us to know and they go together and he was told to assimilate this book to the other churches also, and especially Laodicea. In this verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, they had raised other people from the dead, but nobody has come back from the dead by their own power. Jesus Christ came back from the dead never to die again. You see, he was the firstborn concerning creation, which means he was the architect, the designer, the one that put it all together. He's the same one that put the world together, and He's the same one that designed the church. Think about this for a moment. Here's this little old Jewish man over there in Israel, never lived past 33 and a half years. He never wrote a book while he was here. He never traveled outside the country. And think about it. How many churches are there in the world today that say He founded it? The founder of the church. And look how many different denominations there are and how many churches there are. All from that one little, that's a miracle in itself. When's the last time you did anything great like that? We can't even get anything to last long. And this has been going on for over 2,000 years, good or bad or indifferent, but there are churches everywhere. But it all started with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ founded the church. And he says, upon this rock I will build my church. And the rock was the statement. I am the Son of God. And he that believeth in me hath everlasting life. And whosoever will believe that is upon the foundation which is Christ. So now he says, I founded the church. I'm the head of the church. So if he can do all of this for the universe, and he's also the Lord over the church. That means he's the boss. Does he have the right to tell everyone he saves how they should live? Should the one that died on the cross and paid for all of our sins and saved us when we trust him as our Savior, does he have the right or the authority to tell you and I how to live? 
He is God. He is the Lord. And He doesn't stutter. And you and I should understand just who He is and what He wants done. So that's why we're to study the Word of God so that we can obey His will. But he makes the statement that we were at one time alienated from God. Just hold your place right here, but look there in the book of Ephesians real quick. Ephesians in chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, look there in verse 2. Verse 2. Where it says in verse 2, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. This is how God says we were. We were lost. And when he says you walked according to the course of this world, it means you did your own thing. You wanted to go your own way. You were rebellious. Everybody's naturally rebellious. And it says you had within you the spirit of disobedience, the spirit of rebellion. And you got that from the prince of the power of the air. That doesn't sound very good, does it? And then he says there in verse 3, Among whom also we all had our manner of life, our behavior, in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We were just like everybody else. That's the way we are. That's our first birth. That's how we were born into the world. That's is why we are enemies of God. See, God is perfect. Man is not. And because of our sins, well, we become that enemy of God. And God says in the book of James in chapter 4, any man who loves the world is an enemy of God. Why? Because God says in His Word, one of the laws, thou should love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and thy neighbor as thyself. But everybody loves themselves. They love the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. So God says, you are my enemy. You're for everything I'm against. So we got a problem. So how are we going to solve this problem? Remember, reconciliation is not God changing so that we can have peace. Reconciliation is God changing us so that we can have peace. You see, we're the ones that needs to get right. God was already right. God hadn't done anything wrong. God's never wronged you, never wronged me, never wronged the world. He's perfect. Well, where's the problem? It's with us. We are the problem. And therefore, He came into this world to reconcile us back to Him. What He has to do is all these sins that separate us have to be paid because he has a righteous law that must be fulfilled. He can't just forgive you. It has to be paid because of his righteousness, his holiness. It demands the death payment. So we've all sinned, and therefore we are all condemned. Now go back there to the... Well, let me just show you this first. Look there in verse 4 where he says, But God. That's the way we work. But God. Get this. Rich in mercy for his great love. Wherewith he loved us. Why would he do all of that? Because of his great love. Because he loves us. That's why he does what he does. Can't explain it. I don't know if you can explain love. I mean, a boy meets a girl. Oh, I love you. What do you mean? I don't know. I mean, we know you're supposed to, you know, this down here doesn't do anything but pump blood. I love you with all my 
my organ that pumps blood. Just doesn't sound romantic, does it? Maybe you're supposed to say, I love you with all my mind. I don't even sound romantic. So that's why we say, I love you with all my heart. Well, I guess that sounds good, romantic. But anyway, as you get down here, God loves us. But God, see, we were enemies of God, alienated from God. It mentions this also in the book of Romans in chapter 5, verses 9, 10, and so on. It says that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. While we're enemies, not friends, not while we were saints. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Paid our sin debt so that you and I could have eternal life. Now go back to the book of Colossians in chapter 1. And you'll notice here in verse 20, And having made peace. Well, how did he make peace? Through, get this, the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. He did it so that he could bring all of us back to God. This is mentioned in the book of Peter in chapter 3, verse 18. How that Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins, and he was quickened by the Spirit that he might bring us to God, that he might bring us back to God. So you notice here in the verse 21, And you that were sometimes alienated, enemies in your mind by wicked works, and you ought to underline this, yet now hath he reconciled. You see, you didn't do the reconciling. He did it. He's the one that made the payment in full, purged by himself all of our sins. Came back again from the dead so that you and I could have peace between me and God. You see, all those bad things that I've done, he paid for them because God wanted us to have peace. And I'm glad that he did. Why did he do that? Because he loved me. You see, he's the one that took the initiative. We didn't take the initiative. He did that. And if you will, look there in verse 21, the last part of it. He says, yet now hath he reconciled. In other words, he's brought us together because of the payment that he made on the cross. He did this. And he did it because of his love for us. Now, let me just show you this verse here before we close. Colossians chapter 2. In the book of Colossians in chapter 2. I want you to look there in verse 13. Because it goes along a lot with what you read in the book of Ephesians, but from a different perspective. And you, being dead in your sins, I mean separated from God because of your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh means you're not perfect, you're not righteous, and you have an old sinful nature, happy, quickened, or made alive. Get this, together with Him. You see, you have been made alive because you're with Him. And when the Bible talks about you are in Christ, it's because when you trusted Christ as your Savior, God takes and places you in His body as though you hung on that cross, as though you died and paid for your sins, as though you came back again from the dead. So the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ was put to your account, not just His death, His resurrection and also His ascension. And that's why he says in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 3, we are now seated with the, in the heavenlies in Christ, because that's where God sees us. And so he makes a statement here in the last part of this verse, having forgiven you 
How many trespasses? All. That means there's nothing left. He did it in full. Filled full. The requirement was to have a payment for all of my sins. If he did not pay for all of my sins, he did not help me. If he paid for all of them, but some little bitty thing that I did, some little thought that I had, he has to pay for every sin, everything. And then he says in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. See, you look up here. You see, I'm God. And I keep the books. And I've been watching y'all. And I've been watching and seeing what y'all didn't doing. Paul, y'all be ashamed. Yep, 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 yep. Herman, you're, you're such a shame. I'm keeping a list of everything, even your thoughts. Don't that scare you? So I'm making a list of everything you have ever done. So all these bad things you've done, I got a list right here. So when Christ went to the cross, all these things that God had against us for breaking his law, that were violations of his perfection. He says he nailed them to his cross. It means that when Christ died, he paid for all of my sins from the time that I'm born to the time that I die because he saw me 2,000 years ago looking down to the telescope of time. There's Yankee. Oh, he doesn't have many sins, but I'll pay for what he has. Well, that Peter Amato, he, whoo, he got a bunch. He died for all of them, and as he says right here, look in verse 14. Nailing it to his what? Cross. When Christ died, he died for me. Who nailed him to the cross? Yankee Arnold did. Oh yeah, he did it. Willingly. The Jews did it. The Romans did it. Everybody. But also, he, my sins nailed him to the cross. Nailing it to his cross. And so because of the payment he made, you and I have the free gift of everlasting life. And he said he'd never cast us out and never lose us. That's why we celebrate the, the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a divine command. It's something God wants all of his children to do because of what he's done for us. We're to remember as we look back at the, what he did what he's now doing in our life, and we're supposed to look forward to his coming again. So I believe he's coming back again. And because of that, see, it helps me to stay focused on things that are eternal. That's why in chapter 3 he makes a statement, if you be risen with Christ, then seek those things that are above. Set your affections on things that are above. Because you and I see we're, we're different now. You've trusted Christ as Savior. You're a child of God. There's so much God wants us to know because there's so much God wants us to do. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. This wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. The Bible says God loves us, but he hates our sin. For us to pay for sin, eternal separation from God in hell. See, God doesn't want us to go to hell. I'll be honest. I don't either. Christ died to pay for my sins so that I could go to heaven. But you see, heaven is a perfect place. 
And I was. I wasn't. So how can I get to heaven? God says you can't earn it. You can't work your way to heaven. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. He took all of our sins, paid for them on the cross, came back from the dead and said, if we would believe he did it for us. He would give us as a free gift everlasting life and we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. If I offered you my wallet and you accepted, you'd have a wallet. An empty wallet. If I offered you my Bible and you accepted, you'd have a Bible. If Jesus Christ came in here and offered you eternal life and you accepted it, you'd have eternal life. If it's eternal life, now this is a hard question, how long would it last? Forever. Well, if it lasts forever and all of your sins are paid, all of them, past, present, all of them paid, where would you go when you die? To heaven. So can I know that I'm going to heaven before I die? Yes. I know I have eternal life. I know that I'm going to heaven. It's not because I'm good. It's because he's good. It's because of his great love. He loved us. He loves you. Will you trust him to take you to heaven when you die? You don't trust this church. Don't trust the preacher. Whatever you do, don't trust the deacons. Don't trust anybody. Trust the Lord, only the Lord. And he said he will save you and give you eternal life. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just talk to the Lord? See, I can't save you. So don't, no, no sense trying to trust me or this church. But will you trust Jesus Christ? He's the Lord. You can't make a mistake by trusting the only true and living God there is. Would you believe that he died and paid for your sins? And if you will trust him right now, God said he would save you right now and give you the free gift of eternal life. Doesn't that make sense? Will you trust him? If you will, I'd like to have prayer for you. And so I'm going to ask in just a moment, I'm going to ask you if you'll raise your hand. Raising your hand is just to let me know that what I said made sense. And you like for me to have prayer for you in closing. And I sure would. So anyone before we close say, yes, that made sense to me. And I'll trust Christ as my Savior. Just slip it up very quickly and put it right back down. Yes, God bless you, hon. I see that. God bless you, sir. I appreciate that. It's just a sign of good judgment. Anyone else before we close? Say, yes, that made sense to me. And I will trust Christ as my Savior. Anyone else? Anyone else? If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't have to do it again. But if you've never done it, don't leave without trusting the Lord. Our Father, we thank you so much for all you've done for us. We're thankful for the free gift of eternal life. We ask your blessings upon these that indicated by an uplifted hand that this day, this moment, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. By doing so, they become your child, your child forever, that you'll never cast them out and never lose them. And Father, we ask your blessings upon this church. We do pray especially for the Bible Line Radio Ministry. Father, there's people out there that can be able to, to give and support it, but Father, we have to leave that in your hands, and we just trust that your will will be done. Thank you so much for this day. Bless each one in Christ's name we pray. Amen.